At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. Before we get started into the word, um, I wanted to mention one of the privileges we have as a church family. When it, if, if you're going to be part of the community of Jesus, you can do something that you can't do if you're not. And one of those things is to live out the, re, the call of Jesus to care for the needs of one another. It's what he asked us to do. He asked us to bear one another's burdens. He's asked us to encourage one another and um, to support one another. It's very clear. And so sometimes when you just isolate and you kind of live your Christian life without being part of a church, you miss out on one of those commands of Jesus. But you're here, so I don't have to hardly mention that to you. Uh, but I do want to just celebrate the way that we as a church family have been able to do that, to care for, for the needs of people. Uh, we saw that in the community, as was mentioned, as we celebrated already. But even the way we care for one another here, um, over the last several months, we've several years actually, since we started the church six years ago, we've been setting aside a time on Communion Sunday to mention to one another that, hey, let's prepare for when those times where someone in our church family suffers, they were in a crisis. So let's give to a special fund. We call it the Deacon's Fund. Deacon means servant. So let's, let's set aside a separate fund so that when somebody has crisis, we're ready to respond. And we've been doing that since we started. That's enabled us to help people when they're in crisis. We had folks that couldn't get to work because their car broke down. And so we've been able to help with that, especially helping with Oak Bluff Auto and the way they have that special ministry. Um, we've helped people that, because of crisis, get their electricity back turned back on and just get them over the hump. We've helped with some medical expenses. We helped when, when there is a housing crisis, we were able to respond uh, to a family. So lots of different ways where you as a church and were a part of responding to the crisis in church family. Well, we're at a place right now where lots of needs have happened and those, those funds have diminished. Um, so really, over the course of probably the last three months, um, we've been able to help with several thousand dollars uh, with assistance, but that's really depleted that fund. And so I wanted to mention that to you as church family, that we need to, as God prospers us and as God places it in our hearts, uh, to give towards that fund. Uh, we have baskets right under our giving boxes at the doors, and that's a place where you could place your gift, and all those funds uh, go towards meeting the needs of people in crisis. 
Uh, typically, the giving boxes go towards the ministry expenses and uh, missionary partners and things. But anytime you give towards either in the, the basket or you designate your gift as deacon fund, like if you go online, there's a drop down, you can give towards deacon fund, that only goes to the needs of people. So just take that home with you, pray about that, see what God may have you do, and we'd love to see those, those funds increase so we can respond. We don't want to be at a place where we feel God calling us to something, but we can't because we haven't laid aside uh, that, that money so that we're ready. All right? So, and, and then again, I want to thank you for the way you've been so faithful to that. Um, the second thing I wanted to mention before we dive into the word is in two weeks, we're starting a new series out of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Mark is a really cool book. Uh, one of the most repeated phrases in the book of Mark is the word immediately. So it's the chronicle of Jesus' life, fast-paced. It's like Jesus did this, and immediately they got up and they did this. And immediately they got up and they did this. So it, it's a cool book to help us understand how do you live out the kingdom in our busy lives. And I don't know about you, but my life can kind of get at a hectic pace pretty quickly. And I don't want to miss living out the kingdom of God, regardless of the pace uh, that he has me on. So that'll be a great series. Again, we'll finish up Elijah next week, and then uh, we'll dive into the book of Mark. We're calling it um, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives, Seeing the Kingdom of God in a Fast-Paced Culture. So let's look in the Word. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, or if you use your devices, use to turn to that, or if you're going to use the screen, we'll put the words on the screen also. I encourage you to have your own copy of the Word as we come together. Um, my preference is always to have a printed copy, because sometimes if the preacher gets really boring, you can at least find a passage that's not so I'm just kidding, that would never happen here, but it helps you understand kind of how it is in the, in the word and timing and that kind of thing as you get to know your scriptures. Um, but any, any uh, source of the word that you have, even on your device, is absolutely fine. Question to begin, do you ever struggle with discouragement? No, you do, good, because you're in good company. I think we all face disappointments and frustrations, unfulfilled expectations, and discouragement can come. And if, not, if we're not careful, that discouragement, which is part of living in a fallen world, that can easily slip into more a spirit of despondence, uh, maybe even depression, and begin to Maybe isolate and pull in and our self-reflection becomes even, even destructive. Not just thinking what, how to make sense of my life, but almost concluding that my life has no sense. Well, it's a common theme in scripture. Characters of the scripture had, have experienced that, so we're in good company. But I think it is a, a global tendency and it's really interesting that in our world today, when we have so many opportunities and resources in front of us, why discouragement is at an epidemic level, why depression is so prevalent in our culture. And I find it very interesting that the more secular our culture becomes, the more depressed our culture becomes. 
more we stop thinking immediately of God in our times of disappointment, the more depression truly sets in. Some of you are old like I am, and you grew up in a time when there was a such thing in our newspaper. Well, there was such a thing as newspapers. And there was also a thing in a section in the newspaper called the comic section. How many remember the comic section of a newspaper? Old people. Yes. Well, one of the, one of the favorites in the comic section uh, was, the pe- was Peanuts from Charles Schultz, right? Um, these comic strips were kind of sagas that continue. Sometimes there is a storyline. It was the beginning of the Netflix series, right? That's where they got this, this you go to the comic section to see what's going to happen next. Well, in the Peanuts, there was a main character you are probably all familiar with, Charlie Brown, right? He was a, a, a young kid that had a lot of self-reflection in his life because he experienced lots of disappointments, it seems, right? He envisioned himself, whenever we see on the baseball field, what position was he playing? His pitcher, right? I mean, that's the place of a hero. And it's always seemed to be the, the end of the game, and he's facing that, that home run slugger, Snoopy. And in his mind, he's playing out this scene of his striking Snoopy out, ending the game, and getting thrown on the shoulders of his teammates and heralded as the hero. But does that ever happen? No, he pitches the ball, Snoopy smacks it over the fence. And Charlie Brown's laying on his back saying, good grief. He was determined to get the attention of that cute red-headed girl. Did he ever? No. And that pigskin, he's going to kick that thing into the uprights, right? And his friend, Lucy, who's holding that football down, promising she's not going to pull it away, and he thinks, this time I'm going to do it. And so he drives at the, the football, and right at the last second, Lucy pulls it back. He's flying on his back. He lies on his back saying, good grief. And I think many times in our life, that's how we feel. And I said, this isn't, this isn't a rare thing. We've all felt that. And it's also a part of Elijah's life. Elijah's called a man that's just as human as we are. That's how James described him in the New Testament. He's not a superhero. He experienced successes and failures, but it was simply his partnering with God in the work that God invited him to. That's what God calls each of us to do. He doesn't call you to be Elijah. He's called you to be you, but to join him in partnership in the work that he is calling you too. But on that journey, we will face disappointments. We will face discouragement, unfulfilled expectations. What do we do when that discouragement begins to slip into despondence? That's what we can see in Elijah chapter 19. So look at this with me, if you would, please. In this chapter, we see Elijah kind of at the, at the outcome of a time of success. There was this big showdown as Elijah the prophet went to King Ahab and his wife Jezebel 
confronted them on their idolatry and how they led the nation into idolatry. And he told them that because of your idolatry, the Lord's going to be true to his promise and withhold the rain. That's what God does. That's what a loving father does is there are consequences to disobedience and God wants to draw them back to himself and so the consequences come. Elijah says it's not going to rain until God says so. For three years that was true. Not dew, not rain, for three years. Finally, God calls Elijah to go back to Ahab to say he's going to send the rain. So this happens by his confronting the, 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 this false god, Baal, and his 450 prophets. And there's this big showdown. You remember this? This showdown between Elijah, the sole prophet of God, and 450 prophets of Baal, the false god. And God shows himself as powerful. He's the one that sends down fire, consumes the altar, while the Baal god remains silent because there is no god but Yahweh. Elijah finishes that by saying to Ahab, you better go home because they hear the sound of rain coming. Elijah uh, and Ahab rush back down the mountain, find shelter as the rain comes down. Victory. People's hearts are turning back to the one true God. But then we get to chapter 19. So look with me at verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down unto a broom under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. He lay down and slept under the broom tree, assuming, I'm assuming, he's assuming he would die. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake of baked a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water and he ate and drank and lay down again and the angel of the lord came again a second time and touched him and said arise and eat for the journey is too great for you and he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb the mountain of god So Elijah experiences opposition, even though the victory had just come. Major triumph over the prophets. They won a battle, but he soon encountered that ah, the war is not over. The queen was ticked. Baal was her deity of choice. She's the one that brought the worship of Baal into the nation of Israel. This was her, this was her heritage. And so she threatens Elijah with that same fate that the prophets had experienced just a few days earlier. So it may seem surprising that Elijah's discouraged after such a victory until you think back on your life and you think how often 
after a time of victory, you have that emotional crash that comes. Maybe it's a, a successful project that you, that you oversee or you accomplish, and then the reality of the, oh yeah, but it's back to the monotonous. That hasn't changed. Maybe it's a vacation you took as a family, and wow, when everybody was spending money, like everybody was happy. And then you get home, or maybe on your way home, and the arguments were worse than before you left for vacation. Or maybe you do this, have experienced a, a wonderful time of ministry, and it seems like it was great, and God blessed in such many incredible ways. But then you come back, and somebody complains about something that was done, and you think, oh, why did we even do it? Right? I think we can relate to Elijah's experience. After the mountaintop, the, the emotional slide. So what's Elijah do? He runs. And it's hard to know from the text unless you understand this terrain in the community. But he, when he ran from Jezreel down to Beersheba, he was going from the furthermost point of the nation of Israel to the southernmost point. Beersheba was in the south, Jezreel was in the north. This past May, we traveled that route from the region of Galilee down into the Dead Sea region. That is not a route I could ever imagine taking on foot. It's barren, it's hot, it's rugged. Literally, I don't know if I could have lived if I tried to walk that route. But that's what Elijah does. And the scriptures say that he went down to the city of Beersheba with his servant, and then he left his servant. That small little community that he had, he abandoned. And he went a day's journey in, back into the wilderness and for all intents and purposes, laid down to die. He, he laid under a broom tree, it says. A broom tree, don't think of it as a big shady maple tree. Or even in the scene of the Sierras, right? You've got that barren desert, but you've got that one tree with the arcing branches. Maybe a panther or a cougar or whatever up in the... That's not what the broom tree was. A broom tree is maybe five to six feet tall maybe three or four feet wide. It's more like a shrub. And if it casts any shade, it's a filtered shade, enough for maybe one, two people. And the scholars, Bible scholars that look at themes and symbolism in the scriptures indicate that whenever scripture talks about a broom tree, it's mentioned four or five times in scripture, it's consistently demonstrating a spirit of Barely enough. Hagar and Ishmael found refuge under a broom tree and laid down to eat their last meal and then they were going to die because it was barely enough. So it's interesting that Elijah lays under the, bear, the broom tree. The angel comes and wakes him. And he says, I've had enough. I'm done. The nation goes on just as if it always has. Great victory, woohoo. 
But the reality is we're no better off than my, my father's when the culture was caught in idolatry. Nothing's really changed. What I want you to notice in this opening section of chapter 19 is that in his point of discouragement and despondence, even what we're calling in our notes self-pity, God meets him there. Did you see that? Number one, if you're taking notes, write down, God meets me in my discouragement. Sometimes you might think that, yeah, that's why God has abandoned me, because even when good things happen, I get discouraged, so what good am I? God says, I created you in my image. You're precious to me. I'm calling you to myself in your time of discouragement. In fact, here's what I've noticed, and I've tried to make this a lesson in my life. When I become discouraged, God is allowing that as an invitation to come to him. If you view your times of discouragement as an invitation from God, it will transform how you live in those unfulfilled expectations. When you are discouraged, when emotionally you begin to crash, know that that is God allowing that time into your life. I'm not saying he causes discouragement. Just this is the God who is greater. In Christ, we're more than conquerors. This is God's invitation to you. Emotional flag waving to your, get your attention to say, go to Jesus. Because he meets us in our self-pity. pretty cool what happens. God sends the, an angel, or maybe it's the angel of the Lord. It's referred to as the angel. And many times in the Old Testament, that's referring to a pre-incarnate appearing of Jesus, of Christ. So before Jesus, this is like 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that there were times that God revealed himself in a physical way to his people. This may be one of them, where, where God physically comes to Elijah and he gives to Elijah a meal that would sustain him for a journey that was God was inviting him on. And you'll see that God leads him 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. If you write in your Bibles, you might want to put a parenthesis, Sinai. Mount Horeb is another word for Mount Sinai. You see, it seems that Elijah was getting very discouraged that the covenant God was not being faithful. So God leads him to the Mount of the Covenant where God establishes with Moses that commitment here is my revelation to you where God revealed to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and faithfulness. So God meets Elijah in his discouragement, calls him to himself. Dave Ortland is an author and a pastor, and he recently spoke to our teaching team at a meeting we had as we try to continue to grow in our teaching ministry here at Woodside. In his book, he writes this, when the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, 
when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that our one shot at significance has slipped through our fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when the longtime friend lets us down, when a family member betrays us, when we're deeply misunderstood, and when we're laughed at by the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what testing feels like, and he sits close to us. He embraces us. God is with us. When you feel discouragement come, know that that is an invitation, an emotional invitation from God to respond to his coming to you. He's tapping you on your shoulder and saying, I'll sustain you so that you can come and be with me. So, Elijah travels 40 days. And then we see, secondly, that God calls Elijah, not just to himself, he calls Elijah to the truth. Notice what it says in verse 9. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophet with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. They seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. That word literally means sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out, stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God shows himself to Elijah. Elijah, who is consumed with this thought of apparently all my efforts haven't done a thing. That my greatest success seems now to be a failure, so what's the point? So in response, God gives him a new perspective. He wants Elijah to be restored to the truth of who he is. So he takes him to Mount Sinai. He says, now I want you to watch and I want you to listen. And the first thing God brings is this huge wind. But he wasn't in the wind. You think, well, why did he, why did he do that? Well, think about Mount Sinai. That's where Moses went to right after he and the people stood at the edge of the Red Sea and said, we are hopeless. Pharaoh's army is coming to destroy us. We have mountains on either side, and we can't cross the Red Sea. And all night long, the wind of God came and blew the waters so that it parted, dried up the Red Sea to have, in a path where the people could cross. God showed himself through the wind. And he's saying to Elijah, but Elijah, today, I'm not in the wind. And then came an earthquake. 
Why an earthquake? Well, remember Mount Sinai. When, Eli, when Moses comes down off with the, with the, of the mountain with the tablets of stone, he says, what's that I hear? And he comes out and he sees the people worshiping a, a, a golden calf. And he says to the people, what are you doing? It's Yahweh that delivered you. Repent. And many, many, many people repented. And they came over to join back with Moses's, on Moses' side. But there remained a stubborn few who, with all the evidence of God, refused to acknowledge him as the one true God. And God brought an earthquake that opened the earth and swallowed up those few rebels that stubbornly refused to acknowledge God after all the evidence, after all the invitation to turn and repent, refused to do so. God sends an earthquake. God says, I'm not, I'm not in the earthquake. And then comes a fire. Why would he send a fire? Remember Mount Sinai. That's where, that's where Moses received the call from God to actually lead the people. Remember the burning bush? God was in the fire. Remember how God led them through the wilderness through a pillar of fire at night? God was in the fire, but he says to Elijah, but now you don't find me in the fire. Oh, Elijah saw him in the fire when it came down from heaven and consumed the altar just a few days earlier. But God is now saying to Elijah, don't limit me to fire, but to wind, but to an earthquake. Because I'm speaking to you now in a whisper. I wonder how many times we get discouraged and begin to doubt God because we've limited him to working in a certain way that we've designed where he would get great glory. And that might look like an earthquake or a fire or a wind. Or it might look like a check in the mail. Or it might look like a, 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 the doctor's result that says, I can't find it, it's gone. And when that doesn't happen, we think, where are you? And we settle into this point of despondence. And God says, wait, it's not just in the fire, in the wind, in the earthquake. I can also minister to you in a whisper. When you listen to the call of God in your discouragement and you take his invitation to come to him, and you commit yourself to his truth that he reveals to us. He'll bring us life. He'll bring us hope. But it may come small and quiet. Jesus referred to this like a mustard seed. Do you remember? He said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the smallest among seeds. But when planted, it grows into a tree big enough for Dozens of birds to come and make their habitation. That's the beauty of God's work, is that often it small, starts with a small whisper. But if you trust him, you'll see that it grows into a tree that houses what you, more than what you could ever imagine. But too often we get so frustrated that it didn't start with a, with a tornado, an earthquake, or a, or a fire. Jesus says, no, sometimes it's a mustard seed. Trust me for that. When you face discouragement, expose yourself to God's truth. Don't be conformed to the 
things of this world. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, he says, I beg you, brothers, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can experience what the perfect will of God is. I'm telling you, there is nothing greater and more powerful for your life that when you're in a time of discouragement, as hard as it is, to go to his truth. In fact, that's why I encourage people to make this a habit for your life. Because honestly, it is hard to go here when you're in discouragement. And sometimes the source of strength you have is the habit you formed. That God working in you so that you have that habit. You're discouraged and you're despondent. But because this is what you do, you turn to the word. And he quietly whispers his truth to you. When we face discouragement, God calls us to his truth. That's one of the reasons why I encourage you to join life groups. We're in that season now where we're starting them again after the summer of barbecues, right? Calling us together because sometimes we're the ones as we gather together that we need that word of truth. Studying the word is a core part of what our groups do. And it gets us into the habit of going to his truth so his truth can set us free. So if you're not a part of one, I encourage you to do so. So we encourage you in community as well as individually to be in his word. And then there's a third call. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphath, and Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. You say, well, who are all these names? Well, as we read, we'll see that. The key to notice here is that God, thirdly, was calling Elisha to serve him and to serve others. That when Elijah was struggling with, with discouragement and, and despondence, God brings him to himself, reveals truth, and says, okay, come on, we got work to do. Remember, I've called you to partner with me. And the more you sit and just focus on your circumstances, the more you'll be stuck here. So get up, Elijah. There's work to be done. You see, Elijah was spending his time of, as a prophet going to Ahab to say, you need to repent. You need to repent. Going to the people of Israel, you need to repent. And God now has another assignment. In essence, he's saying, we gave Ahab the chance. Now, Go anoint this king, because he's going to replace Ahab. But there's more I'm going to do. I'm going to use the country of Syria, and they're going to perform a work that I have planned for the nation of Israel. So I want you to go to Syria and anoint that king, because he's going to be my shepherd, my instrument. And I want you to go to Elijah, Elisha, because the work is going to outlast you, Elijah. My work is for generation upon generation. So go find another person that would work beyond the borders that I've given to you. 
In other words, I've got work for you to do, Elijah. He's mobilized him, mobilizing him back into ministry. Have you noticed how easy it is to isolate when discouragement comes? You notice in your experience how hard it is to rise up and reach out when you're not feeling so good. I, I certainly am not saying that we don't need soul care. And that's why we see God first inviting Elijah to himself. But eventually, God would leave Elijah to leave the mountain and go back to the valley and partner with him again. Sometimes it feels safer on the mountain, doesn't it? It feels safer alone, distant from others. Maybe we're trying to protect ourselves from more disappointment, more unfulfilled expectations, and so it's easy to pull ourselves aside and, and, and isolate and enjoy time with God. But remember, you weren't intended to simply live on the mountain. He brings you the mountain to reveal himself to you and then to go with us down to the valley where there's work for us to do. And I found over and over and over, this is God's way to pull me out of those times from where discouragement slips in despondence or self-pity. It brings me out of that place because my focus isn't on my own circumstances. My focus is on others. A great example of this from history from the last generation is Elizabeth Elliot. Are you familiar with the story of Jim Elliot, Roger Fleming, and others? A small group of missionaries went to Ecuador. There was a tribe there in Ecuador that was very remote, distant, never had experienced the gospel, never heard the name of Jesus. And so they, as a, as a small group, went to that place and spent months building bridges, extending very carefully, very slowly, um, connection into them to build trust. In one, from many perspectives, tragic day, a handful of those men went into that place to seek to make contact with the, with the tribe again. And the tribe got spooked and slaughtered the men there on the beach, there in Ecuador. And you can imagine the grieving spouses that were left once they got word of the death of their husbands. So they came home. They were ministered to by their churches. Elizabeth Elliot experienced the call of God on her life to go back, to continue that work into that Aka tribe there in Ecuador. And so she responded to that. She partnered with God, went back, spent more months and years slowly building bridges and the kingdom of God fell down on that place where so many believed. The entire village was impacted. And they have now begun to reach into the tribes around them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simply a story of a person who was disappointed with the outcome of God's work in her husband's life. Disappointed with the expectations that she had, but instead of staying in that place of despondence, she experienced the healing from God and followed his guidance back into ministry. 
It's a great example for us to follow. I don't know. Is God calling you to the tribes of Ecuador? Maybe. If so, go. It will help you and we'll pray for you and care for you. Maybe God just has you ministering into this community. Maybe you've been experienced, maybe you've experienced some church hurt and you've just kept people at arm's length and you haven't gotten involved in ministry. And maybe this is God's word to you to say, I've met with you, provided healing, time to leave the mountain, time to serve. Maybe you're at that place where just getting here today was so hard to do. But maybe this is the word that God had for you. To say, no, he's got truth to heal you. Dive into his word. Find a person that you can come alongside of. And together you can can experience the wonder of God's truth setting you free. Because he wants to partner with you in our world. He hasn't come back for us yet. Tells me there's more work to be done. And it requires all of us. Maybe it's serving in kids' ministry. Maybe it's being a greeter at the door. Maybe it's joining with our outreach efforts. Maybe it's joining to a life, whatever it is. Maybe it's something completely disconnected to anything it's simply that takes place in this building. All I know is, if you're a child of God, he wants you to partner with him in ministry. The enemy wants to use discouragement to pull you away. God wants to use discouragement to draw you to him, to heal you, and to partner with him again. Let's pray. Father, we admit how prone we are to try to solve our own problems. We admit that we pull away from the one who can truly heal us. And yet here you are knocking on the door of our heart, not giving up on us, continuing to reach out to us, to draw us to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for being a God that is full of grace and mercy, faithful to every generation, ready to heal Forgive, cleanse, and empower. Lord, the the word that you gave to Elijah we need. That reality that you have ministry to do. That reality that there's still thousands of people that have not betrayed you. You have a remnant. You always do. You're always doing great work. Yet your silence doesn't mean your absence. Just because we don't see your work doesn't mean that you're not working. Lord, you are a God that works far and beyond anything we can imagine. And so we come to you again. We turn to you, Lord, from our despondence, from our despair, from our self-pity. We turn to you to find healing and renewal. So be with us as we reflect on these things. As we sing and as we respond to you, Lord, hear our hearts when we renew our faith, our confidence in you. We love you so much. Thanks for speaking to us today. It's in your son's name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.